Uh, this is our second podcast for War on the Rocks, and I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Brian Payne, who I'm just going to call Brian, yep. and uh, David Caston. Uh, Brian and David are both from the U.S. Army Regular Warfare Center, which you might know um, more commonly as the, as the Counterinsurgency Center in Fort Leavenworth, but they underwent a name change recently. <laughs> um, Brian is the director of the center, and David is the chief of interagency coordination. Um, and David and I actually met at the FM324, that's the Counterinsurgency Manual Revision Conference, a little over a year ago. Um, we've sort of kept in touch since then. Um, and we're here to talk about the sort of future of counterinsurgency, the, the impact of the lessons learned from the last 10 years of war, 10 plus years of war on our forces, and where that's going to bring us into the future. And um, as I'm looking over the bios of our two guests today, I'm sort of struck by the fact that their sort of life experiences are as interesting, if not more interesting, as the topic we're here to discuss. Um, you know, starting with Brian, he's served in Somalia, Haiti, Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan in Kandahar province, which is one of the worst provinces there. David served in Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, South America, Central America, Horn of Africa, Caribbean, um, pretty much everywhere except Antarctica. And he also happens to be a War on the Rocks contributor, which is very interesting to me. Um, and always involved in irregular combat, in the irregular warfare. Um, Brian's an infantry officer, and we talk about how the Army's trying to take on the lessons of the last 10 years of war, but Brian's actually a walking lesson, and so is David, that it's not just the last 10 years we're talking about, it's really since the end of the Cold War that we've been preoccupied with these conflicts. So I've talked enough. I'm going to hand it over to the guests, and maybe, uh, Brian, you could start and tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Brian Payne, and uh, I've uh, been in the military now for uh, right on 24 years. Uh, at, and you alluded to it. I uh, started off my very first experience in the military. All right, I met my platoon in Somalia uh, in, uh, in 1993. Uh, and uh, was there for uh, the, you know, the, the events that, that, that watersheded out of out of uh, you know three and four October uh, with the Rangers. Now, now Brian, now, now you told me about this over coffee. Yeah. Um, it, now tell everybody the story that you told me when we were having coffee at the Pentagon about about how you met your platoon, or or the, the decision that was made. For you to to go to Somalia with the other the other two lieutenants because I think that that's a good story. Okay, uh, there were three lieutenants that showed up and uh, we were all in the brigade commander's office at the time. And uh, he walked out and said, "Hey, I've got good news for all of you. I've got some bad news for one of you. And the good news is is that you're all going to Great Battalions. The bad news is one of you is getting on a plane in three days and going to Somalia." <laughs> uh, so as we were sitting there, he says, "I'll leave you guys uh, to think about it for a little bit, and you can you can you can talk to me in a few minutes. I've got to make a phone call." So we were sitting outside and talking for a little bit. He came back out and he went to the first guy, and the first guy said, "Sir, I uh, I just got married and uh, I'm waiting for my household goods." Blah blah. He's like, "Okay, got it." Next guy he was like, uh, he said, "Sir, I've got two dogs. I've got to find a place to be able to house them up." And he got to me. He goes, "What's what's your story?" I said, "I said, well." Uh, I just got here yesterday. My bags aren't unpacked, and uh, so if you tell me I gotta go, it's easy for me to because I don't I don't need to do any packing. <laughs> and he immediately said, "Okay, you're going to." Uh, he went to the first guy. You're going to triple deuce. The next guy, you're going to three fourteen. You're going to, yeah, you're going to to uh, uh, two fourteen. You'll get on a plane in three days. <laughs> um, so I flew to uh, three days later. I'm on a plane and I fly into Mogadishu. It's everything 
you would expect as a second lieutenant growing up, you know, and what they tell you. Uh, you fly, the, the ramp goes down, you can smell, you know, you're, you're not in America. You can see the, <laughs> you can see the concertina wire and the, and the sandbag positions. I meet the, the, the pack NCO, Sergeant Fountain, and Sergeant Fountain gives me a, you know, here's the pack NCO, and he rolls a map out on the hood of the Humvee. What's the pack NCO? Pack NCO is your, is your personnel. It's your personal action center. It's the, it's the guys who really make sure you get paid. They process all of your, your paperwork for it's your human you know, resources. Yeah, but oh, yeah. at the battalion level. <laughs> So here's here's the pack NCO, and he folds a map out on top of the Humvee, you know, top, and starts giving me this is the route we're going to be taking. Here's the danger spots. Here's your ammunition. Here's your hand grenades. Here's a ten pound satchel charge that's inside the back of the vehicle. If the vehicle gets hit, you know, pull the pin on that and go to the next next vehicle, so we can destroy the vehicles and there won't be, you know. It, it, so he's going through this whole brief, and I'm like, man, I am finally, I have arrived. <laughs> I'm an infantryman, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> And uh, so it continues to get onto the university compound after we uneventful trip, but but you know wide open, you know taking it all in as a as a brand new second lieutenant, first time ever in another country, really. Um, were, were you ever told why why you were there? Did you ever get the briefing? Okay, so for historical context, right? We we, we come right off of the backside of the you know high fiving and each other in the parade in New York City after you know Desert Storm. Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then we, you know, we roll into something like this because it was really only a, a year later, so '92, you know, when we decided that uh, that you know we needed to make sure that the the aid was being protected uh, from the airports. Nobody should make sure that it got out to the uh, uh, to the distribution sites. And did did anybody ever talk with you about you know the the task and purpose of of, of why you guys were there? Uh, uh, to a degree, but, but we were a little different. We were the QRF battalion that was yeah. under, the, the, and and so our our responsibility wasn't with necessarily tied into the securing of those resources. Yeah. It was really to go into the assistance of those res, of those folks whenever they, they, yeah. they when things went issues. wrong. When things went wrong. Yeah, and one of the things that quick you know, QRF is a quick reaction force. Quick reaction force. That's correct. And, uh, you know, we were the only ones, at that time, it was still fashionable in some places to camouflage your face. And our organization, the battalion I was in, would camouflage his face. And what it really did is it sent kind of a message. Um, when we would pull out on the street and they'd see that the camouflage face were coming out of the streets were totally clear. Oh, wow. Sort of a don't F with us and message. We, yeah. and, and we could go wherever we needed to. Um, when you, if, if they saw people that didn't, that, then it was kind of okay. These folks are yeah, folks you can mess we, with those guys. Can, these are folks we can mess with because they're not going to hurt us. <laughs> so it was, uh, but but our interaction with the population was relatively minimal at that point in time with it, with regard to that position. But so you guys were living on the airfield. We were living on, at the university compound. The, the university compound, and then you, how often would you guys actually go out and, and interact with the the local population? The the battalion commander time with a. a, a General David, oh, yeah, being General David, but yeah. General David, um, had set up a plan where we would do uh, three days of mission support, three days of mission, and three days of training. Yeah, because he believed that you got to keep that the the sword sharpened at all times. Sure. So, uh, on uh, during a during a mission cycle, uh, you could. Uh, when I got there, they had just gone through three and four October, which was the big Ranger. Um, uh, you know, yeah. mission yeah. That, 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 you know, everyone's seen Black Hawk Down probably by now. But so you got there right after that? I got there right after wow, that. Wow, that must so have been an interesting time to arrive. It was. It was, uh, you know, the platoon that I, uh, you know, as, as I understand it, and it was related to me, it was the lead platoon for the the 214 that was going in to rescue or, you know, to assist the Rangers and yeah. pull them out. Um, so to step into the shoes of the platoon leader that had led that organization was pretty 
pretty challenging. I mean, it's pretty exciting. Honestly. Yeah. At the same time, you know, it's, here's guys that have been tested and proven, and now they got a brand new guy taking them. Were, the last were you familiar it. with that story, with that drama that unfolded I, I was, in October of '93? I, I was, I was watching it. I, I was on my way to Fort Drum uh, to to sign in. Yeah, and uh, and I was sitting in my grandmother's living room in West Virginia, watching it unfold. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta go. Mm. We had another two weeks of leave that we were going to plan on taking, and I was like, "Pine, I got to go. I got to go sign in." And so we left the next day and went on into wow. Fort Drum. So, wow! So, how, how long were you over there in Somalia? Now for me, I was only there for about a, uh, about two months. After that, um, at, at that time, they were doing short deployments. It was a six month deployment, and I just made the cutoff to get to get sent over. So I did the last two months with them and redeployed. So, so you, you came back, and then then what, what was next for you? Because this is this is where, again, over coffee in the basement of the Pentagon, I'm lear- learning this about you. Almost immediately, you ended up going back to um, to basically another non regular mm-hmm. assignment, non regular experience as an infantryman. Of course, you know, you know, if we were to take the terminology of a regular warfare and regular warfare. This was another irregular, uh, right. uh, you know, deployment for a conventional force, you know, infantry officer. And where was that to? Oh uh, well, uh, that was when you know you started having the problems there, Steve, in, in Haiti, and mm-hmm. and uh, there was all the ramp up that went into the Haiti piece. You know, you had to, first, initially there was the, the call we're going to send the eighty second, and the president gets on the phone and tells hey, the eighty second's on their way, and they did the U turn and came back. Well, at the same time, we had some folks that are already from our battalion that had already been sitting on one of the yeah. The carrier groups downrange and preparing, uh, but we went to, into Haiti almost immediately on the heels of that. I think it was less than a year later we were, we were mm-hmm. in Haiti. Um, initially going in and securing the airfield at uh, at uh, Port au Prince, and then moving up north to Capatia to uh, to secure the airfield up there and start working with the population in and around in and around the area of Capatia. No, when you worked with the population, really, what were you doing? Um, re- re- it was really more. Uh, uh, for us, it was a, the just maintaining civil civil order for the most part. Really, kind of where we were at, and really just kind of interacting with the local population. Did you do Did you do governance stuff? Um, I mean, there was there was uh, attempts to to move in that direction, but it was so we were so early in the deployment that 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 really wasn't the focus of folks. Really, we went and, had, it, the, and it was kind of funny because we were all going in thinking, okay, we're going to be fighting the the the. Uh, uh, I would think of the name of the of the well, the, force well the, time. the Haitian yeah the um, the yeah, you know police guys was that, it no uh, was the other guy was the um, yeah I, I know I know but, uh, it'll come to me but uh, so we were thinking okay this is gonna be high adventure and then we got there and there, there wasn't yeah. any high adventure and then as we started going in and we'd go into these little villages in the middle of nowhere um, the people would form up. And a band would start playing, and they would march us. Through they the were street. so happy to see. They us. were so happy to the, see. They us. raided a band. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they <laughs> I mean, just band out of nowhere. There's drums going everywhere, and they'd just be afraid. They'd come in and want to shake our hands and walk us through the street and up and down around all the all the houses to say we're here. To, they're here to help. You yeah, know, kind of deal. And uh, so it was really kind of a. There must shock. have been some Bush administration officials there because yeah. they saw that and they're like, "Well, same thing's going to happen." <laughs> uh, we've seen it in Haiti. So, they love us for our democracy. Yeah, well, oh, you know, bring the band out. So, but it was, but it was, it was, it was like, okay, we weren't prepared for this eventuality. Yeah. So it was, that was kind of surprising. 
Um, but yes, that was kind of that's kind of. So, the, what was your tactical response to the band? Uh, <laughs> well, we smiled. And, and we walked through the village, and then at the end of it, uh, I can remember turning to the then Captain Busby and saying. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> but where in your training did you ever expect? Where in your training did they ever address things like this? None. Really? At that point, yeah. time zero. Yeah. There was nothing. There was no reactor contact with a band. <laughs> <laughs> reactor contact. Yeah, who comes to trombone? Maybe if they were out of tune. Um, let's let's fast forward to Bosnia. Okay. And you were a company commander, which I'm told is the coolest job you can have in the army. I believe so. And you were commanding an infantry company there. I was. I was the. Uh, I was at the 101st. We got selected. We got. We're very lucky. Our our company was selected to to support MND North as the MND North QRF, and the MND North was the 10th Mountain Division at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, General Champo was the brigade commander at the time, and Colonel Champo, and so we fell under him for ADCON. Uh, but as a result of being there, we got a chance to work with. You know, uh, Adcon is administrative ad- administrative control. Control. So he could he he was responsible for providing us all of our logistical support, all of our administrative piece. But we got our taskings directly from the G three uh, of the 10th Pound Division. Okay, that's the operations officer. Yes, correct. That's correct. Uh, and uh, so during that piece, uh, got a great opportunity to work with you know uh, forces from Turkey, um, um, Finland, um, Norway, um, Sweden. France, Russia, um, you, you name it. I think about 17 different countries we ended up doing training with, you know, collaborative, you know, collaborative training. Um, and then and then the second piece that, that, that I really learned out of that one was really t- starting to talk to the people. Because one of the things that I got out of that was is, uh, I didn't drink coffee my entire life until I went to Bosnia. Hmm. Uh, and, and what started happening is, is the, the A way of life in Bosnia is the coffee shop. Uh, and... Uh, so what I would do is we'd go in on our patrols and we would actually go in and buy coffee and sit with the people and talk to them. And over that cup of coffee, um, or you know, several cups of coffee over a couple of hours, you would learn a lot about the workings of the town or the village that you were in and who was who in the, in the village to a large degree. So it was a huge you know, passive intelligence collection piece that we, that, that, that we discovered just because we started interacting. What, what was your mission? In, yep. in your part of Bosnia, well, I was the QR. We were the QRF, yeah. so the quick reaction force again. Um, so if uh, if if you know something, uh, you know a uh, someone had come into contact, or if uh, and they needed assistance, we were the ones that were going to call. We you know we had the a platoon at all all times ready to roll out uh, within a fifteen minute string to be able to go and. Were you guys ever called out? Uh, twice, twice. Uh, but and out of but how how long were you there? Six months. Six, six months. So twice out of six months. Right. So it was a fairly it was a fairly you know now looking back on it, it was a very benign deployment, especially compared to what you saw later. Yeah. Right. Right. So that, you know it's you know it's nine day difference. I mean at that time you know you know it was a great building block for later on. You mm-hmm. know, that's the way I look at it. Is uh, you know it was a chance to to learn some stuff, but not. Not so a building block in the sense of non-kinetic, you know, infantry-based skills, but rather human-based skills on how to interact and how to, I don't know, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but conflict resolution, mm-hmm. um, you know, dispute resolution, um, cross-cultural communication, Negotiation. All. Uh, am, am I no. right on that? Or no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, wow. it was it was one of those it was one of those situations where, again, 
there's no school, there's no, there, there was no school, there was no thing to prepare you for that, but it was really yeah. kind of a, it, you just dis- discovered, you know, I got a lot of good information about just getting a cup of coffee and sitting down and talking yeah. to that guy. And so it became kind of a normal routine for us to go and visit, whenever we'd go to a new village or someplace and go and, and, and on a patrol, it would stop the coffee shop, stop at, you know, other places where people might gather and you might be able to gain some information. So yeah. It was. Uh, that was, was, it, that was that's like small town America, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, any of those yeah, those yeah, coffee shops off of Main Street. Yeah, you go you go down the course of Canada, Texas, and, yeah. and go in and eat at the at the diner downstairs down for breakfast. You'll find out a lot about the town. Well, yeah. It's funny. I, I when I worked for the human train system, we were in training. We were in training in Kansas, where you guys are at Leavenworth. Yeah. And one of our training exercises was to do like basically human terrain gathering or collection on various towns in the uh, Missouri, Kansas area. How'd that go for you? Well, we had to be careful because we didn't want to piss <laughs> off the locals, which, you know, <laughs> went all right. Went so all right. Did, did they give you guys? I was the reachback element. So oh, okay. I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you weren't actually in the No, I was in not the in the field yeah, in yeah. that exercise. Yeah. But, um, well, let, let's, let's move on. You were, you next went to, um, National Training Center, and I think a lot of our viewers might not understand the significance of National Training Center NTC and what role that plays for the Army. And I, Something we're going to return to later when we get into what you guys are doing at the center now. Um, so maybe you could explain that for yeah, us. Yeah, I, I had to. After command, I was able to go to the small to be a small group instructor for a short period of time at the for about a, uh, almost two years at Fort Benning as being an instructor. So I got the chance to learn the doctrinal theoretical piece, and then I got a chance to move out to NTC, the National Training Center, which is in Fort Irwin, California, uh, where it's one of the, one of the largest you know military installations in the United States. It's about the size of Delaware. Um, when you, when, when the you whole thing. Right, right. Wow. So you've got a giant maneuver maneuver space, um, and and it was where it was the preeminent, you know, mechanized, um, armored battlefield uh, at the time, and uh, and and uh, it was. I'd never been there as a as a player. That's what they call a person who's going there for the exercise itself. I've been to JRT several times. JRTC had a scenario where you always find the core Explain what JRT, JRTC is. That's the Joint Readiness Training Center. So and that's down at Fort Polk in Louisiana. Fort Polk, Louisiana. So the two of them had two different kind of focuses. National Training Center was really heavy on the on the heavy side. I mean, they brought low t- light like rotations armor. in, yeah. infantry rotations in, but mostly it was the, the armor and the mechanized force. JRTC was really focused in on the light infantry for the most part. I'd spent my career light infantry. When you go to JRTC, you're fighting the Cortinian Liberation Front, which is kind of like a, 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 a an insurgent or an early element that comes in to destabilize a region. And this was even in the late nineties. It, it was in the late nineties. Yeah. yeah. And then and then uh, and then you build up. So you're kind of working with that time we were calling the low intensity conflict, and you'd work your way up to a to a high intensity conflict where you'd have the the the, the next door nation come in as a as a as a force that had to come in and bring in some st- stabilization. Um, and so you'd end up with a you know force on force conflict again. So you kind of got the range of operations that you might be focused on as a, as a as an infantry. At NTC, it was really strictly force on force. You know, heavy, you know, mechanized light and, and mechanized, mechanized infantry and armor. And as an OC, it was new to me. I went there because I had not been exposed to the armor mechanized side of the army yet. So I got a chance to observe that. And what I started really looking at is was like. The whole time we sit around, the, and the coolest thing about being an OC is, is that you're under no pressure. OC's observer control. Observer control. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the uh, um, you're you're under no pressure. You're just there to, to kind of take notes and share with your observations with the unit that you're that you're that you're observing. 
And in the evening, you'd go pull up into one of the wadis or the ballot, you know, the little draws along the along the battlefield, and you'd throw down your charcoal grill and and you'd grill and your meat, and you'd be sitting there talking with the other guy, the other observer controllers. And uh, as we'd have these discussions, so barbecuing you, while you're talking about yeah, the days, very events. similar to what yeah. we're doing right here to build yeah. learn lessons. Although, much much fancier setting at the Jefferson Hotel, by oh, the absolutely. way. Indeed, absolutely. And, Cabinet room, and probably no cocktails. Yeah, oh, yeah. The no, ones we no, have here. no cocktails. General order number one. <laughs> but let's actually let's take a break. Let's talk about that. And let's talk about what we're drinking. What, what are you having, Dave? What I am drinking a 12 year old Macallan Scotch. Yeah, and it is glorious. What are you drinking there, Mr. Ryan? I, I unfortunately just finished um, my uh, second or third um, <laughs> Woodford Reserve, which is one of my favorite favorite bourbons. And Brian, what are you drinking? Brian, I am having a. Uh, I think I'm into my third uh, uh, old old dog uh, amber lager. Uh, so first first time to try it, and uh, well, actually third time to try it. Uh, <laughs> and what do you so. think? You see, this sort of brings us up to the eve of 9-11, right? Yes. And so right right now I'd like to pause and switch over to Dave. And I'm going to be a bit more free form with Dave and let Dave sort of guide us through this because I'm going to leave it to him to what he brings up and what he doesn't. But Dave, what were you doing in the decade before 9-11? Yeah, okay, so um, <clears throat> my, my my journey is is, is, is similar to, to Brian's. Um, I started off as an enlisted guy. Um... But but his experiences with Somali, his experiences with, with Haiti that he just described, uh, are are real similar to to my experiences in the '90s. But but up to that, um, you know, I grew up in the Cold War. Um, I was uh, you know a Reagan man, you know, in high school. Uh, you know, just you know Oliver North. Um, uh, all of, yeah, all of that was, <laughs> and I remember being a, being a kid, you know, watching the kid. I mean, I was in high school, but, but, uh, but yeah, exactly. I don't recall. <laughs> uh, None of us do, Ellie. None yeah. of us do. So, um, yeah, so I remember watching, um, you know, all of the congressional testimony, um, uh, and, and anyways, I ended up joining the army a month after I turned 17 in 1985 and, um, actually with the Arizona Army National Guard and then, um. Then I transi- transitioned over to uh, uh, to active duty as uh, as, a, as an airborne infantryman. I went to the, to the 82nd. But I, I just found out this morning that Brian and I actually were were, were two completely separate lives. We're, we're thinking about joining the French Foreign Legion, which <laughs> both was, of you, yeah, which is really funny, you know. Uh, so you know, his story about why he wanted to join the French Foreign Legion is different than mine, but uh, but it was it, but it was really funny. And then of course the, the the moment of of clarity hit me when I realized, whoa, 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 whoa. Why am I going to join the French Foreign Legion when I can join, you know, when I can do all the stuff I want to do in the American Army and I don't have to learn French? So, uh, so, that, so that was like, you know, the draw, you know. So, uh, um, uh, you know, Airborne Infantry, uh, 82nd Airborne Division, um, you know, sniper in a, uh, in a scout platoon in uh, the 3rd Battalion of the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment. And uh, so I, I get there. I don't spend any time in a, in a line company. Um, as a matter of fact, the, 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 well, I take that back. The moment, I spent about a month in a line company, and, but never went to the field with them. And then the first time that we were going to go to the field uh, to do some you know, training exercise, I remember standing in formation with all my kit laid it out, laid out in front of me and you know, on the, the gravel we're all you know, sort of falling in on. And, uh, and I remember looking off to the side and I see all these dudes you know, out in the grass, 
you know, with the rucksacks kind of, you know, thrown, thrown around, <clears throat> no formation. They're just kind of sitting on the rucksacks with the patrol caps, you know, on the back of their heads, you know, putting camouflage on, on their faces. And, uh, and I remember looking at, at one of my buddies that, I, that was in my squad, and I said, hey, who are those guys over there? And um, my buddy said, uh, hey, man, that's the scout platoon. Those guys are assholes. <laughs> and I like, looked at them, and immediately I thought, I want to be with those guys. <laughs> so literally, I, as, as an asshole, Dave I, immediately I responded asshole. to them. I want to be an asshole. Um, so I, I, I went over there, and, um, and you know, I introduced them. Like, I'm PFC cast, and I, I'd like to, you know, how do I, how do I become a scout? And it was like literally like you know the the record needle you know going across the record and every like like, like who the hell is this in 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 the uh, in the eighty second call a new person a cherry and uh, and a cherry is in reference to mostly <laughs> we don't need this I think we all your know. beret yeah. your okay. beret your beret and, and that it's a brand new beret and it looks you know like this cherry red and and there's a stem still coming off of it because you're so new. Okay. Um, so you know they looked at me and like, oh, this cherry, you know, and uh, but because I, you know, I had the the audacity to sort of go over there and you know and, and break from the norm, you know, instead of you know deciding to to, to be a, a regular airborne infantry line infantry guy, um, you know, I decided that I wanted to do something different because it appealed to me because it was it was not the norm, mm-hmm. it was irregular, it was not regular. So and, and and the reason why I bring that up is because I think that that kind of you know set the uh, set the course for for my, my professional life from there was I, I I decided that I did not want to be um, a regular kind of kind of you know person with my career I wanted to do something different <clears throat> and so by going over there not only was I detailed off to the to the scout platoon for this training exercise but at the end of the training exercise uh, I was given an opportunity to try out for for the recon platoon and made it. And have spent my life uh, in this irregular type military, uh, you know, construct for for the rest of my career, and and uh, so now here I am, you know, 28 years later, um, still in the army, um, but uh, now as a reservist, and um, and everything that I have done in my military career has been. Uh, non-traditional uh, or irregular. So, um, so from there, um, I, I participated, from being a scout in the, in the scout platoon, I, I participated in, in Operation Just Cause. Uh, I was in the battalion that was uh, uh, early deployed down to the Joint Operations Training, or the Jungle Operations Training Center down at Fort Sherwin, so Sherwin, Panama. So we were the, the element that was down there <clears throat> prior to the invasion. So we had an opportunity to go and actually do a, a foot reconnaissance of each one of the objectives that we later ended up hitting during the invasion, which you you know never get that opportunity to kind of mm-hmm. do those things um, like that now. Um, so um, so participated in uh, operations uh, Operation Just Cause, and um, and the interesting thing is is we were listening to to Brian talk about his experiences. So here I am a sniper. You know, I haven't had the opportunity to to uh, during the initial invasion to to practice my craft, and then find out at the end of it, I still had to talk to people. And the first time that that ever happened was uh, myself and my my um, uh, my sniper buddy. We were attached to a platoon that ended up going up into this place uh, in, in in Panama to uh, to to look for these arms caches, and the the locals 
were more than helpful in trying to not only point out where the arms caches were, but also they hadn't seen uh, Americans in that part of, of Panama. And so a lot of the mothers had the opportunity to introduce their daughters to some Americans. Really? And that was uh, a, a mind blower right there because uh, I have blue, eye, blue eyes and they'd never seen blue eyes before. And so, um, just because of how we were set up, it, it was it was almost like a freak show, and people wanted to come and like look at you know like holy cow! You're not telling me the story of how you met your wife, are you? No, or I will you? tell you. How I, met my <laughs> wife. I actually met my wife in Haiti. All right. Yeah. So, uh, but it was it was really funny uh, because we, you know we were all busting each other's chops about you know all of these Panamanian you know mothers trying to marry off their daughters to some American soldiers, which was you know like wow what. Where did they cover this in my infantry AIT? Well, at least you know? that's not a problem we faced in Afghanistan. Well, so. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's maybe. not true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Holy cow. We'll get to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, think, you know, think about it this way, Ryan. Wherever soldiers go, wherever Marines go, wherever service members go, <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, this is like, like, I mean, they will find love. Will find a way. Love will <laughs> or, find a way, or something. Yeah, yeah or yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So so okay. So from Haiti, I ended up um, you know coming back to to or I'm sorry, from Panama, ended up coming back to the 82nd uh, to Fort Bragg um, after the invasion, and uh, a lot of us ended up getting um, PCS, a permanent change of station, which meant. You know, a lot of us that came back that participated in, in Operation um, Just Cause ended up getting sent out to the Four Winds. And, and in my particular case, uh, I got sent out to do long-range surveillance for Seventh Corps as a lurse guy. So I didn't know anything about it other than I realized, okay, well, it's basically you're being a scout at the, the core level. And, uh, and, of course, the time frame still is the Cold War. Yeah, I grew up in the army during the Cold War. I remember in basic training, you know, learning how to react to a nuclear strike. Yeah, as, as, absolutely. Yeah. You get on your desk, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. You cover your face. <laughs> Brian just covered his face for, for for those of you at home. Yeah, but but then you're you know your feet towards the blast. Um, uh, I don't know if they still do this in basic training, yeah. but they probably do. But uh, then also, you know, react to a nerve agent, you know, all the NBC, yeah. you know, kind of stuff. So, um, which... Water is, Yeah, it, it's funny to us, and at least for me in retrospect, you know, looking back on, on those nuclear reaction drills that you're doing. <laughs> nuclear reaction <laughs> drills. So the, the premise was that... You know, hey, PFC casting, if you're, or private casting, if you're out there doing your infantry stuff and there's a nuclear blast, we still want to retain you as a fighting <laughs> soldier. So this is, this is what we're going to teach you to do. Like, yeah. really? You know, I can survive a nuclear blast? <laughs> cool. Bring it. Bring it. I'm good to go. So, uh, but yeah, so I grew up in the, in, the, in the Cold War era and, you know, going off to, to do uh, long-range surveillance for 7th Corps was... Um, what was really interesting because it was all about the you know, obviously the Soviet threat. It was all about uh, learning the Soviet order of battle, uh, which is if for some of your listeners will really resonate with them if they grew up in that time period and were in the military. I mean that's all we did. I mean we always looked at the fold a gap mm-hmm. scenario. We looked at you know the the Russians, the Russians, the Russians, Absolutely. the Soviets. You know my God, 
you know, really understanding what that's all about. Because if you can identify this vehicle, you know, it's part of this element. You know, where the hat, escape hatch is. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. You know, and as a worst guy, it's incredibly important because. Um, our mission as uh, uh, I was an F company, 51st Airborne Infantry, Long Range Surveillance Company, 7th Corps Lurs. We um, our job was to go 150 kilometers uh, behind the forward line of troops, um, which is uh, again kind of anachronism now because what the hell is a forward line of troops? There is no such thing. Right. Um, uh, well, it's funny point. because that, that terminology is still used in brigade planning. At least the Brits were using it in Afghanistan, the flat and the... Mm-hmm. And then the flat? Yeah. Yeah, okay, um, so... Uh, but there obviously isn't one. There, there is so much. I mean, there's IED lines, right? There's... Right. The, it, it might be used for the equivalent purposes internal, just for recognition. But if you look at what a forward line of troops are... How and how can you describe what a forward line of a forward line of troops is for a an element that is in a fob, that is not that is completely decentralized from a battalion and a brigade headquarters, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so and, and I did, I most recently um, dealt with that 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 terminology um, working with our, our, our partners in um, in East Africa when. You know, one of the terminologies of four line of troops w- was used, and, and all of us were looking, lo- looking around saying, how are you defining that? Mm-hmm. You, can you, are, are you really what you're saying is you're saying a secured area? That's different. That's different than, than using the terminology of four line of troops. Right. But, um, but that's a holdover from, from how we planned for and how we looked at engagements during the Cold War era. Because we, we looked at it, and, and this, is, this is just... You know, Dave talking from my own personal experiences, and of course now retrospect looking back on that's it. what public affairs officers train all, all yeah. army officers uh, to say. Just, from my own experience, yeah. Okay, so none, none of this represents the opinion of, of the DOD, the army. Yeah, so we're saying that right up front. I'm saying it for myself, and I don't know if Brian's going to say it. I agree. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> he agrees that it's not the army agreeing with him. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a you know some guys over some cocktails talking war stories. That's right. So, um, yeah, it, it was really interesting to, 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 to see that that's how it was described and, of course, the mission with, you know, uh, 150 kilometers behind enemy lines. And then I went and did uh, Operation uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, mm. uh, deployed with, um, with Seven Corps to, to go and participate in that. And we actually did the LURS mission during that time period. And, um, you know, our, our mission was to, uh, among other things, was to do strategic reconnaissance uh, along major MSRs and... Um, main supply routes. Yeah, MSRs. yeah, main supplies routes. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, had, we had the drama, but uh, literally at the end of the day, it was, uh, uh, it was uh, 100 hours, right? And uh, we high-fived each other, and uh, we all came back, and we participated in the, in the parades, except for me. Um, I didn't. Um, and you know everybody was so happy, but I remember being a Joe, you know, just a regular. I think it was in, in an E four, maybe an E four P at the time, promotable. And I remember thinking, really, that's it, we're done, the, the war's over. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like you know it was it's that clean. It's that easy. Turns out it wasn't. <laughs> it turns out it wasn't. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, you know, nineteen ninety one. At this point, you know, we're all like I said, high fiving each other and and congratulating each other. Um, you know, the Powell Doctrine. You know, all of that was was in play. <clears throat> so people started to to fly back to the United States, 
And um, you know, we were just waiting for our, our number to come up before we flew back to the United States. But we still heard on the radio, we still heard, um, you know, all of this stuff that was still kind of out there that was unresolved. And and I think it was at that, that point in my life where I wasn't sophisticated enough to really get a, a grasp of, of what was going on. However, I did notice it and I was paying attention to it and I was listening to, to, to the news reports. Um, so after that, you know, I left active duty um, uh, with the drawdown, well, I went to college, um, got my, uh, got my, my degree and in, in, uh, then ended up going back into the Army, uh, active duty with a, with a commission and uh, went back to the 82nd as an officer, as an infantry officer at this, this point. And um, I wasn't with my platoon in the 2nd of the, the 325 Airborne Infantry Regiment probably more than a month, maybe two months. And then we deployed to Haiti. And uh, the, the operation that we deployed under was Operation Fairwinds. And Operation Fairwinds was basically to be able to, to much like what Brian was describing with, uh, with you know, safeguarding and, and then also becoming a, a QRF. We were a QRF for all of the United States Support Group Haiti's mm-hmm. efforts to start, you know, Implementing all the aid money, implementing all of that uh, that reconstruction money after after your experiences right. there, and uh, so we were we were um, you know based out of uh, the airfield there in, in Port-au-Prince, and um, you know I, I had an opportunity to travel around the, the country a lot, um, and um, so that that was my that was my my, my Haiti experience. But I, I'll share this with you that my battalion commander at the time. You know, was was given the lieutenants kind of a pep talk because you know he was a guy that was this old sage, you know, infantry lieutenant colonel who you know done it all kind of thing. You know, and this is like 1997, and uh, and I remember distinctly him saying, "Listen, you guys go down there to Haiti. You know, me and my other three platoon leaders. You guys go down to Haiti. You guys do a, a kick-ass job down there. All right, whatever you guys are going to be doing. All right, come back. We'll get back to blocking and tackling." And, uh, and what's, what's blocking and tackling? Blocking and tackling is a military euphemism for the fundamentals of what we do in the infantry, and and that is you know uh, uh, fire maneuver. It's um, you know it's, it's the fundamentals. You fire maneuver to go to to those uh, uh, to the objective to to engage with and destroy the enemy by means of fire and maneuver, which is the uh, right out of seven dash eight. But um, but I remember thinking to myself, uh, really, uh, come back to, to blocking and tackling. I, I remember that distinctly. Like that, that, yep. didn't, that didn't resonate with me in a way that I thought it was because 1997, and so you know, even reflect back on, on my, you know, I was still in the reserves at the time when I was in, in college, but I was still you know, obviously keeping up with uh, you know, current events. But we had, just in that time since I, I left active duty, we had um, Somalia, you know, we had Haiti, and things were really starting to, to heat up in, uh, in in the Balkans, and of course, you know, throwing Rwanda as well. You know, <laughs> so those four episodes right now were in the back of my head when this battalion commander was telling me, you know, just go down there and do whatever you're going to do. You know, do pull security for the the support group down there in, in Haiti, and then come back and you know get back to blocking and tackling. And I'm like, man, it seems to me that we're not doing a lot of blocking and tackling. We're doing a lot more of these uh, these security type things that I'm going down to participate in. And uh, so I ended up leaving active duty. 
uh, in 99 because I had an opportunity to go to the State Department, and uh, which is where I was uh, from, uh, from basically... Uh, uh, basically, that time period up until when uh, when I uh, I resigned in 2010, and then ended up uh, becoming a DoD civilian, um, working at the the Army's Irregular Warfare Center, formerly known as the Counterinsurgency Center. Um, so, hopefully, that uh, that kind of catches you up. So now, so now you, you've got two guys that have had real similar experiences with regards to. Non-traditional combat, you know, non-traditional warfare, irregular warfare, and um, uh, and finding out that this is more regular than not. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's how we're going to end this first part. And in the second part, you're going to join us, and we're going to start talking about 9/11 and everything afterwards. Sure. Oh. And uh, in reality, this is the same interview, but we're just going to take a break and order another round of drinks. <laughs> and then part two will start very soon. So tune in again.